Welcome everyone to NYC. I've got my coaches in place, Scott Ligo, Dory Bennett. Um, for those that are watching us uh, on uh, YouTube right now, you know, if you can't watch us, you know, check us out on any of your favorite uh, streaming uh, uh, podcast platforms. We're on iHeart, Spotify, Apple, so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, we're in about 10 different locations, so, you know, there's always a way to find us. And if you get tired of looking at our ugly faces, please go check us out on these platforms. You don't have to look at us, but you can listen to us. Scott, Dory, man, uh, what a weekend. Um, a, a difficult weekend for, I, I'm just going to just put in, a, you know, and just say the title Americans. I mean, for us to reflect back, you know, 20 years ago from the tragedy that happened in New York City, in New York City and how it affected all of us. Um, Scott, we'll start with you. Um, what, what did this weekend mean to you? Just kind of, you know, reliving it, remembering it and, and seeing all the activities, especially us sports fans around the nation and how they dealt with it. Well, you know, for me, it's, you know, if you go back 20 years ago, my sister had just gotten married over the weekend up in the San Juan Islands. I came back to work. I was sitting at my coffee stand running it. And, uh, you know, on the radio, you hear this little thing. Oh, the plane ran into the, tra- you know, the trade center. And you're just like, oh, okay, you know, somebody screwed up and ran into the, th- you know, oh, okay, that's too bad. And then, you know, within 20 minutes later, things are not what it was. And, uh, you know, it just, it's really hard to, you know, think that it's been 20 years ago that that happened number one. And number two, you know, I think it's important, especially like they emphasized over the weekend was college sports. A lot of these kids weren't even old, born then. And yeah. so to never, never, never forget, you know, what this was really about and uh, what we get to, luckily we get to, the three of us get to openly express our opinions on YouTube and all the channels we get to do it on. And there's a, a you know, price for freedom. So, uh, you know, it's always stays with me and resonates and, you know, always tip my hat off to the first responders and the people that do the stuff that, you know, keeps us safe and everything like that. So Dory. Um, it was my second year of teaching and I happened to be up about five o'clock, uh, going to work out and have the news on. Never do I have the news on in the morning. So it was, it, it was quite, it was quite odd. And, uh, they were, they, they had the camera on the, uh, first tower and we're, we're showing the first tower live. And then another plane came across the television station or the television screen and, and went into the second tower. So I'm vividly remember watching it live on television and thinking, well, the first one, I don't know what happened there, but I can tell you for sure the second one, that was not an accident. So you knew right away that it was something very impactful and definitely planned at that point. Then your mind races to how do we get students through this? That was just my next piece. Um, not that the first responders and being there in person didn't enter my mind. Obviously it did. But then when you have tragedies like this, how do you help kids make sense of it? So that, that, that's what I remember. Will. You know, it's, I've got a lot of stories. Uh, yeah. Born and raised in New York city. I lived in New York city at the time um, before I got into um, 
television production before I first got my job at Madison Square Garden. Um, I used to work at Sloan Kettering Cancer Hospital. I worked on uh, on the 19th floor. Um, and I remember that morning I had a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shift. You know, you have 12 hour shifts at the hospital. And I walk into a patient's room. I remember exactly the, the room that I walked into. And um, my patient had the television on and we saw smoke coming out of the tower. And at this time, no one knew what happened. No one knew whether a plane had gone through. None of that was part of the conversation. Um, you know, we didn't even think that something like a terrorist attack was happening, even though it had happened uh, years beforehand when they, they exploded the van uh, in the basement of the, of the World Trade Center and it didn't um, collapse the building. And then obviously, you know, um, everyone knows the story at that point, what, you know, ensued. It was a difficult day. It was a day that I knew I couldn't leave. Uh, I was concerned for my two-year-old son, my wife that was working um, in Manhattan at Sloan Kettering, but a different building. I worked at the hospital. She worked at the offices. And we I just called her and said, you have to get out of the city before they shut it down to get to our son who was in Brooklyn. Um, so there were a lot of concerns. And uh, getting the phone calls as um, all the hospitals started closing down because they've had so many patients, you know, whereas Cabrini and, and, and Bellevue and uh, all of these hospitals were filling up and you could just say, hear them saying, okay, they're coming up, they're coming up, they're coming up. And we just knew that we were going to start getting patients um, from the tragedy uh, downtown. It was obviously an incredible day, incredible week, incredible month. Um, still driving and still seeing smoke come out coming out of the world trade center or what was left of it the rubble and people trying to save other peoples and you know it's a reminder you know in a in a time like this where our country is so divided and on that day that week that month that year when everyone came together, black, brown, white, didn't matter what race, didn't matter if you were immigrant, didn't matter what your politics were, didn't matter at all. It was coming together for each other to help each other, going down, volunteering, being a part of that, that 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 incredible, tragic day turned into, in a morbid way, a beautiful moment of unity for all of us to come together. 10 years later, I'm working television. I'm getting ready for our Friday night football, uh, huge broadcast. And um, I go up to St. Anthony's in Huntington, Long Island, where they're getting uh, donations from the beams from that day. And if you go to St. Anthony's high school, there are beams in front of this, the high school, burnt, twisted beams. And we celebrated Captain Timothy Stackpole and his grandson was playing high school football. He was the captain of the football team and captain of the lacrosse team. And they shared their story about their, this captain losing his life and him going into the tower to rescue people, even though he was on his way home and saw the smoke in his rearview mirror and turn back around to save lives. And in tail, he lost his life. So there's a lot of stories. Uh, we could be doing this for a long time telling stories, but it's an incredible day. And 
I hope that we can remember to be unified because it's so important for us going forward. Love speaking that. of speaking of unity, you know, um, we'll, we'll get back to college football right now. Um, Michigan did a great job at halftime. Uh, most of us didn't see it, but they did post on YouTube. It was a uh, 10 minute halftime uh, show called We Remember. And each of the 400 members uh, members carried some sort of light, high powered flashlights. Um, it was a, an incredible, incredible show that they had uh, uh, last night. And uh, I just wanted to show and play some of it. And for those that can't see what's happening right now, the band's out there and they're it, the stadium is incredibly beautiful and there's lights and the band is out there and they're spelling heroes and just a, a 10 minute performance of remembering that incredible, incredible day. Now, if I could just stop the video, <laughs> if I, Hey, Scott, where, 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 where's your, Where's your, your niece or, or goddaughter? Can she show me how to use the, the computer? Because apparently I can't do anything right. And, uh, you know, it's, I just need now. help. It, we need someone under uh, under 21 to help us, you know, deal with technology, because obviously I don't know what the hell I'm doing at this point. But one team that knew what the hell they were doing yesterday was a remarkable performance of the Ducks. Dory. Yesterday's performance, I know you're not a big Duck fan, but you are a Pac-12 fan. And for them to go to Ohio State yeah. and beat Ohio State, the Buckeyes, I mean, what, what were your thoughts when you uh, saw that and heard about uh, what had happened uh, out there? Well, it, incredibly excited for the Pac-12 for sure. And uh, if, if you're a Pac-12 fan, then you need to be a Duck fan. Because they just made yesterday, they made the Pac-12 relevant again and by going into the shoe and shocking 100,000 people because Pac-12 football has not been that relevant. And the fact that it was on national television, and let's just say that they went out and were the aggressors. Oregon was the aggressor yesterday and went in and put, they put a stamp on it early hung on late the pick at the end was good um got a little bit tight the last in the fourth quarter when Oregon had two three and out possessions but uh in the end it was great and and Tracy Wong friend of ours friend of mine uh was in the stadium huge huge duck alum huge huge duck alum and he said yep he said the stadium's pretty quiet right now because we just came in here and shocked 100,000 people. So excellent. Not, I think it was the biggest win of Saturday of any game out there. Yeah, I would agree, Dory. I think that, uh, you know, I'm not a Duck fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a Pac-12 fan. And it's nice to see them and see UCLA do what they did last week against LSU. Uh, to kind of give us some relevance into to our league and show what we can do. And, you know, people need to tip their hats off to uh, Cristobal and his staff. I mean, they had Thibodeau out and uh, Justin Flo out. I mean, two of their better defensive players. Um, they got the two corners back. That probably obviously helped, um, you know, especially against what the strength of Ohio State is, which is their wide receiver crew. Um, so it was an impressive win. It was no doubt about it and uh, something that, that we definitely needed. 
especially early in the morning. It was nice to get that. And mm. then, you know, hopefully settle in for the rest of the day because the rest of the day was a little rough for the rest of us. So uh, it was nice. It was a good win for the Pac-12 though. Yep. 7.07 yards per carry. That's what the Ducks did. And listen, that's that's just old school football. I know we want to throw the ball around. They spread offense. They do this. They do that. And obviously uh, just a great performance. But when you can run the rock at seven yards a clip, um, let's see. Let's see. We usually 10 yards first down. And if I'm running the ball seven yards, I'm going to have a lot of first downs. Here we go, Will. Ten fingers, seven. Yeah, that stuff with Dory, four, five. Yeah. Yep. Good math today, guys. Really good math today. What what, what do we? What do we think about the performance from Anthony Brown, um, the, the quarterback for um, for Oregon? I, obviously, we, we know what the Russian attack did. They went over 200 yards rushing. I believe it's the first time that Ohio State has given up a consecutive 200-yard game since, I believe, 04. But please, you know, just check that out, you know, for those that, that are listening. Um, what did we think of the performance from uh, Anthony Brown at the, at the QB position uh, yesterday for the Ducks? Go ahead, Dory. Well, okay. I, I thought it was, um, I thought he played within himself, right? I think that Oregon's play calling set him up for success. When you are that strong with the run game, it will open up the passing game. And But you have to be dedicated to it and understand that the connection of one play to the next and what we're trying to set up and felt to me like the players bought in early and often to to the game plan. So I thought he played really well within himself. You know, you're on the road, a hundred thousand people in the stands screaming and it was loud. And uh, when it got a little tight, you could see where they were a little bit off. They had some uh, motion penalty. They had a time, they had a play delay penalty, but uh, overall I'd say that uh, played within himself. The game plan was set up for success. And I, they, I, he's, he's on his way. He's on his way. You can go into the shoe and play like that and come out with a W. Good for you. Yeah. Everybody knows that. I mean, to be able to run the RPO offense, I mean, you have a dynamic quarterback like that, that really, really helps out your game and it spreads the field and does the things that you needed to do, makes them defend 53 yards, all those things. And we can, you know, go through the math that way, but that's not really the issue. The big is that if he, I mean, he's a good looking athlete. There's no doubt about no. that. I mean, he's a good looking kid. So when he gets going and you get, like you said, seven yards a run, I mean, you got to defend either the quarterback, you can defend the run, how you're going to, if they throw the ball, I mean, it's, it's, that's when you, you're defensively, you're, you're in a tough position. So uh, I also think it's important to note, to note that um, Joe Moorhead is their offensive coordinator. He was at Penn state before he really knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, has obviously been in the big, you know, the big 10 before. So he knows, you know, probably a little bit of Ohio state's, you know, background, how they operate, mm. things like that. Good point. I felt that important piece that, you know, for, for his success and for their success. And, uh, crystal balls in the old school, hard nose kind of coach and great place to go do it in, in the shoe. And, uh, you know, and what the big 10 is known for their hard nose football. 11 now, different Washington receivers trying to get more head. I'm sorry. Washington was trying to get more head as the OC here. So, so we, we already know that that guy is wanted and good. We already know. 
Uh, passes completed to 11 different receivers yesterday. He spread the ball uh, out, obviously, like you both have mentioned that, you know, if you can run the ball, it gives you more flexibility. I thought he made some great passes. And the most impressive part of the game yesterday was when Ohio State made their run. It looks like they were going to, uh, you know, tie the game. And, and who knows what happens at that point uh, after a couple of not great drives on Oregon's behalf. Uh, a couple drop passes, you know, and they, you could see that it was starting to slip away. The fact that they were able to right the ship and get the job done, that was the most impressive part of the day for me. Besides the way they played, it was they showed some composure when things started to fall apart and found a way to win. And we know that that's the whole reason we played a game, right? To win the game. All right, Q, I'm sorry. Herm, uh, please. I, I know there's some probably some copyright infringements there. So um, please take it easy. Listen, the, the two biggest wins the first two weeks are from Pac-12 uh, teams. W- what does that say about the Pac-12 um, early in this football season? Dory? Well, I think it says, again, that um, there are teams that can go out there and make, help make the Pac-12 relevant again. Um, but I just think there's, unfortunately, there's a big gap. There's a big gap so far, two games into the season between the teams that are out there making an impact and having an impact and the teams that are not. And part of that teams that are not piece is, was, uh, when Stanford beat SC yesterday. So but that gives more credence to Pac-12 North, right? And then BYU beats Utah, and they're in the Pac-12 South. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how all this shakes out for sure. The one piece about the Oregon-Ohio State game that, that also I thought was very interesting is that Oregon State gave up over 450 yards passing to Ohio State. That's a lot of passing yards. A lot of passing yards. So they gave up a lot of, they gave up a lot of yardage, which, you know, dogs are watching. We'll see. Scott. Well, I, you know, um, I, I think obviously any win for the Pac-12 is important, but to Dory's point, I mean, we've got a lot more questions than we got answers. Uh, we only had two good performances basically out of the Pac-12 uh, the rest is all head scratchers. Um, you know, we even with our own eating our own uh, Stanford last week, you know, looked like they couldn't get out of their own way against Kansas State and then come and just take a wallop to, you know, USC. It wasn't even close. Uh, and, the, and the score makes it look a little closer than it really was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that the Clay Helton watch is starting, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that situation there. And, uh, you know, Arizona can't win. Um you know, Oregon State gets a good win against Hawaii, but, uh, you know, the Cougs get themselves back righted a little bit. But, you know, they got to go down and play a USC team that's going to be pissed off and irritated. And so it's going to be, you know, again, us eating, you know, each beating each other up. But the biggest thing is that, you know, consistently over the whole Pac-12, it's a little concerning to me personally. So, which you I'm know, sure I- we're going to you know, just want to bring it up there. If Bill Walton Walton was here, he would say that the Pac-12 is the conference of champions. Um, you know, we all love uh, Bill Walton. Uh, Doria uh, loves him once once in a blue moon. She's not a big mm. fan. But but anyway, uh, hey, just a reminder to our listeners, to our viewers, 
Uh, Pac-12, first conference to have uh, over 500 national championships. Um, so they, you know, when we think of football, you know, we know that it, they've been down for a while, but hey, they've got the most national champions in of all the conferences and by a margin of like over 200. So it's just a reminder that Crazy Bill Walton is correct when it comes to that. The Pac-12 is the conference of champions and they're trying to not trying. They're making noise early in the season. Uh, one team that's making some noise early in the season, but for all the wrong reasons, the Huskies play Michigan. And not whew. exactly. No, they didn't. Go ahead, Dory. Go ahead. Just go. Yeah. Just no, go. they didn't play. They didn't play like that. It, 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 uh, my dogs, that th- those were not my dogs out there. Those were not my dogs out there. I'm telling you that that and I'm really not happy with, you know, coaches saying, oh, we need to execute better. Players got to execute better. That's not how you build a team by throwing your players under the bus in the press, like stop it. Right. So yeah, no, it, it looked the score. I don't even think the score represents how poorly it felt to watch that game. It doesn't represent it. It really doesn't. Um, Michigan, you know, scored a lot in the fourth quarter, but you, you can't have two running backs that run over one had over 150 yards and the other one 171 yards really that, that that's I'm, that, I'm that not only sure, happened but it's, 0 and 2 feels like 0 and 12 scotty well yeah it's it's i don't where do you begin i mean i think defensively you know they played well in the beginning uh but i don't care who you are you can't be on the field as much as you were and and, and sustain that type of stuff that's just hard to do. Uh, you want to be three and out, get off the field, get on the offense, get them going. Um, you know, offensively, we could probably be here for the whole show, but I don't really want to waste my time. Um, but, you know, the sad part is really, I mean, you know, if you think about it, I mean, Washington, all their offense, running offense, was negated by the one run for the touchdown by Michigan. They had more run more running yards in one run than we had in the whole game. And so – uh, it befuddles me that we were in fourth and one. And we had to run for about two yards the whole game, and we decided to go we'll run the ball. I mean, come on, man. And just getting done with talking Oregon, spreading. spreading. Oh, we lost him. We lost Scott. Scott will join us. Uh, like, you know, let's, let's just kind of piggyback. You, you mentioned about the rushers. You had two rushers to go over 150 yards. It's the third time that's happened since 1940. Um, when you look at the offensive side of the ball with um, with Washington, they have gone. They went before the field goal. They went um, 19 drives between scores. I mean, that's absolutely amazing that the Washington offense will go 19 drives from, and we saw their first touchdown. That was last week, first quarter, they scored touchdown, 19 offensive drives before they could kick a damn field goal. 
I mean, that's a problem. And Michigan didn't do anything to surprise. They ran the ball. I mean, Kat, uh, Cade McNamara threw for 30 yards in the first half with a long of 33. And it's and, and it's because it was a minus three on. Like, how does that happen? And the the football is now set up for you to score points. This league, everything is is set up for you to go 19 drives to score points. Oh, you, you know, Dory, I know Donovan's your boy. You, you guys are, are, are two P. Yeah, we tight. <laughs> we so tight. Uh, uh, for those Dude. that can't see us, there's a lot of sarcasm going on right here. So, uh, Scott, man, what, what, let, let's talk about that offense real quick. What, what are you seeing, right? What are you seeing uh, on the offensive side? Is it execution? Is, is it play call? What is going on? I think it's all of it, to be honest with you. I mean, I just, I, mean, I, I think you can start from A to Z and go. Uh, I watched, you know, an offensive line that we thought was going to be so good and blah, 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 and they can't get any push. I see running backs. I mean, I don't like any of the designs of the plays. There's no spreading the offense. There's no getting people in space, doing the things that we need to do. We supposedly had all these great tight ends. Uh, I mean, you know, they don't have a great receiver room right now. I mean, you know, it just, it is what it is, but you can do things to spread people out, have to make them defend the field that allows you to get some other things open. But, you know, to be quite frank and honest with you, I mean, we already talked about Joe Moorhead going to Oregon and what Dory said. And then we got the other Penn State offensive coordinator, John Donovan. And I think that, and unfortunately, that's kind of where it, it all lies right there for me personally. I got a right, question for both of you. I don't like after coaches, but let's be honest with you. That's, that's where it lies for me. Well, let's be honest. He, he's not at Penn State for a reason. He didn't voluntarily go to the NFL to be an offensive assistant with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, come on. Don't tell me that, you, that there wasn't a better offensive coordinator out there than John Donovan. Okay, don't don't tell me that. There's a dude sitting at Post Falls High School that ran Purdue's offense that still has records. So don't tell me there aren't more qualified coaches out there that should have been looked at and should have been hired. So I'm I'm frustrated. Um, I heard Chris Peterson on an interview. Uh, I don't know Thursday or Friday. And he was asked the question, what's happening at Washington? And, and is this, you know, what, what, what should the people at Washington, what should the fans at Washington, really, what should they do? And the first thing Chris said, Coach Chris Peterson said, they're, they're going to have to have patience. It usually takes four years to build a program and create your culture. And, and I was like, okay, let's just back up a minute. First of all, why are they having to change the culture? Because I thought the culture under Chris Peterson was pretty darn good. So why are they thinking that they have, it's gonna take that long because they need to change the culture and need to create their own? It was my understanding that Jimmy Lake was hired because he was going to continue what Chris Peterson had started there, here with my dogs. So that's one thing. And the other, he's just said that when you have the youngest team in the Pac-12, it, the young guys, it's hard to get them to understand that they can't just show up and play. 
So that's where coaching has to come in. You have to be able to get your players prepared. And if you have young players, then you have to go back to the drawing board and make it your game plan needs to be simple and X and they need to be able to execute it. Well, if they're not doing it in practice, which is why the two best running backs aren't playing, apparently they're not doing well in practice. So then they don't make, they don't get to play in the game. I understand what you're trying to do, but people, you've got to get your best players on there. Get your best players on the team. Have the best athletes out there. I'm not so sure that they shouldn't have switched up both weeks and gotten a second quarterback in there to change the rhythm, to get the tempo going, whatever you needed to do to shake it up a little bit. Scott, um, do we think Washington can beat Arkansas State? Uh, last week they had 681 yards. They had two quarterbacks to throw for more than 275 yards. They've got the two-headed attack. Um, what are your thoughts? You think Washington gets this win or do you think that we're just going to see um, just an angry Dory for the rest of the season? Well, there's a lot of ways I could take this question, but I think I'm going to do the right way. Go with, um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I said it earlier this week. If they lose this one, this is not going to be fun this week. I'm telling you right now, Arkansas State put up 50 points last yesterday against Memphis. 50. And we, we haven't scored 10. I mean, we're, I mean, are you kidding me right now? I mean, I, I'm very nervous about this game. Number one, I mean, the psyche of the team, the coaches, everything yeah. like that comes in, does what they do. We haven't exactly been, I mean, we're, I mean, we were, st- we played good defense the Montana week, not so good yesterday. I mean, yeah, yeah. To your point, Will, I mean, it's, this is scary, man. This is, this is, I mean, this could be it. I mean, 0 and 3 and heading into to Pac 12 play. I mean, ultimately, like we talked about last week, the, the big goal to winning the Pac 12 North is still available. But boy, I'm telling you, man, you go in, I mean, even a squeaker. I just, I just don't, I mean, I'm really nervous to be quite frank and honest with you. I think that, uh, you know, people, you know, people, people, people should be, definitely be aware of this game. That's for sure. D- Dory, um, let's end on a positive note and we're going to try to keep it tight because um, yeah. just because of time, I'll be quick, you know, let's do our uh, positive player spotlight. Um, and uh, you're, you're focusing on a player at university of Washington and, and we have to find some positivity. So let's, let's wrap that up. Uh, we have plenty of time to hammer, hammer them that, uh, next week. Yeah. So uh, who's your positive uh, player spotlight? Washington senior punter, Race Porter. He is the Campbell Trophy nominee from the University of Washington. And the Campbell Trophy is awarded to uh, a college athlete, college student athlete, that is best in the country for his academic football and leadership performance. So all three components come into it. Uh, the cool part, here's what, here's race. Okay. He has, uh, he has a 3.4. He's already earned his degree. So he's getting his master's. He has a three, he had a 3.4 GPA on the field. He, uh, yesterday, he was the most successful player on the field. He was, he had five punts averaged almost 50 yards per punt, two inside the 20. And once the longest was 63 yards, dude's doing his job on the field. Absolutely. And off the field academically, but here's the kicker. No pun intended for race Porter. 
He started his own company, t-shirt company. And the reason he started it, it has to do with mental health and mental illness. And he's spoken publicly about his own struggles with depression and mental and mental illness. And the name of the company, the t-shirt, the clothing company is H-O-M-S. H-O-M-S. And it stands for Heart on My Sleeve. And he started this company as a way for people to share how they're feeling, share and feel comfortable sharing their feelings and all proceeds. He donates a portion of his sales to the Seattle chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Check it out, people. You can't do anything but support Race Porter and HOMS Homes Clothing Company. Can I, can I add one little, can yeah, I add one little thing? So here's the best part, Dory. Uh, a little shout out for our, my alma mater. He's an O'Day boy. Uh, and how this whole thing started off was it's called uh, Beards for Bros. We don't allow usually facial hair at O'Day, but if you grow a beard, they allow it for this one time and they raise money for mental aware, uh, health at O'Day. And so that's kind of the, the extension of what he's doing there and stuff like that. And uh, so it's a really cool deal. Really, really cool deal. So proud, proud, of, proud of, the, of the young man. That's for sure. Yes. Making an impact in the lives of others. Scott, um, my daughter's now a freshman at high school. Um, I was driving her and her friend uh, to the school. No, in fact, come, we were coming back from picking them up and uh, there was a discussion in the backseat and her brother is, uh, is older. He's a, he's a junior. And they were talking about that they didn't have to take SATs uh, this year, you know, and ACTs. And I mean, we grew up that that's what we all had to do. And you, you prepared and you got tutors and, you know, you did this whole thing. So uh, you're president of Student Athletes Advocate explain to us what is going on and how important this information is uh, for, you know, parents, students, and anyone else that needs to know about what's happening with the SATs. Yeah, kind of going off of last week's comments, you know, with the way that the rosters are and so many, you know, you know, being taken right now. And then with the changes, the big thing that the NCAA did for the last two years is they have allowed you not to have an SAT, ACT score. So the old way was, the lower your GPA, the higher your SAT, ACT score had to be, which makes it obviously tough for some kids academically. So take advantage of it right now. Here's the, here's the misnomer, though. Uh, in 2020, 22, 23, it's coming back. Technically, right now, it's being talked about. That's the number one thing. The NCAA is talking about getting rid of it. But most important, and this is really important for all student athletes, um, your institution may want an SAT, ACT score. So that's the only thing that I would check with, um, especially the division three, you know, academic schools, uh, just make sure that you're on par with what they need. And if you need to take a score just to have one to, to be able to, you know, be accepted into school, but per NCA regulations, you do not need an SAT ACT score right now. So as they say, take advantage of that. Hmm. So. Yeah. Just a reminder, uh, go to saadvocates.org. Uh, Scott's a president of the Student Athletes Advocates. And uh, he's there to help parents and student athletes through the process of eligibility and recruiting and financial aid. 
So if you have any questions, reach out to Scott. He's there to help you, especially it seems like rules are changing every single day. We're going to go. We're going to kind of speed it up as we wrap it up. Um, High school news. I know we're talking college football. High school news. Uh, St. Francis defeats De La Salle 31 to 28. It was De La Salle's first NorCal loss north of Fresno since 1991. Their record was 316-0-2. Scott, when you hear about a record like that ending, you know, just thinking about the kids, you know, what do you think about when, when something like that happens? Well, I was lucky enough to be here at the uh, Lumen Field, watch uh, Bellevue beat De La Salle to stop the streak. Uh, so to see this from the Northern thing, I've read a lot of the books about De La Salle. So it's quite, quite amazing, to be honest with you, to do what they did, you know. You know so, um, you know, it's, it's impressive, you know, uh, for, you know, for somebody to keep that streak that long. But really kudos to St. Francis and getting it done because, boy, that's a – that's a big, 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 big one you get to put in your back pocket for your feather in your cap. That's for sure. It's impressive all the way around for both programs. Dory, you know, the coaching staff over there has got to be ecstatic. I'm pretty sure they were partying like it was 1999. Uh, I mean, you know, you know how much it goes into uh, the preparation and, and more importantly, getting your getting players to believe Um what do you think about the coaching uh, staff that, you know, had their players prepared for a game like that? Well, the one approach that you always have to take when, when you are a, when you coach a team that within a conference and within a division, and in this case, within the state, and you are playing a team that has a reputation like De La Salle, what you know for sure is what you bring to the table and creating that belief in your players comes from, saying it every day, seeing it every day. And once they start to believe in themselves as strongly as the coaching staff must be believing in them, the result is what we saw is what came out on Friday night. You never know you, but you have to believe. And I don't mean just say the words, it has to come from within. And when you believe in what you bring to the table, whether it's on the field, on a court, Wherever it is, that's why Friday nights like that can happen. Maybe we need to bring that coaching staff into you, Dub, and give a pep talk to the players, and maybe they could get them motivated. <laughs> Referencing back to Scott Ligo's comment, 2004, September 13th, uh, Bellevue High School ended De La Salle's 151-game winning streak, which was the longest streak uh, at the time, that's, that spanned over 12 years. Uh, Bellevue High School went on to win their fourth uh, ch- uh, championship that season. So um, there is some um, relevance. By the way, for anyone that doesn't know where Bellevue High School is, it is in the state of Washington where we're currently doing our show. As we wrap it up, um, you know, what game are you looking forward to next week, guys? Well, I'm, I'm kind of bored over here. I don't know what I'm going to do Friday night or Saturday night at 4.30. Maybe, I don't know, maybe watch the Southeast Conference team take on this Big Ten team. I don't know. I mean, kind of might be a big game for me. So, obviously, the Auburn-Penn State game is huge for us. It's going to be a whiteout for Penn State. Um, they're actually doing two whiteouts this year. They're going to do the Michigan game, too, as another whiteout. So, uh, you know, special year, two of them. So, 
it should be great. It should be, uh, you know, they put up 62 yesterday. So uh, Penn State's got their work cut out for them to get this thing done, but they're at home. Uh, that crowd should be helpful. 107,000 people coming down your throats. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun weekend. And uh, obviously there'll be this little game over in um, Montlake that I'll keep my eye on. So hopefully they can squeak something out over there. Dory. Well, I, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see how Oregon rebounds from the big win that they had on the road at Ohio State. Um, you they're know, playing when, Stony when Brook. A, Don't worry about pardon? it. They're playing Stony Brook. Don't worry about it. He, I know, but hey, Washington played. I'm sorry, Montana, Red Wolves. Said, Don't I don't want any Red Wolves so, being upset with me. I apologize, Red Wolves. <laughs> You're going to get stopped. Sorry. I don't know what to say. No, You're playing Stony Brook. Again, again, <laughs> you don't know how your team, right? There's, coaches are still trying to figure out how their teams respond to a win and how they respond to a loss. The season is still early. So that, that could be something to keep their eye on. I will be in the stands on Saturday at Montlake because um, if, if, if the fans don't bring the positive to the stadium, right, and bring that energy, then the players don't feel it because the players are having a hard time bringing the energy because they're not feeling it. The coaches can't figure out how to bring the energy. Will, when we were at the game last week, right, and they ran out into the field. What was the first thing I said to you? There was no energy. I'm not feeling the energy. Okay. Yeah. So people. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person to bring also because I'm from New York and we like to boo people. So if you want positivity, you better leave my ass at home because I, well, I, I just, and, when you perform bad, I boo you. I got no shame. We got no shame. No, oh, you I can't boo. It. You can't boo. Grow I up. Put on your it. big boy pants. Do the job. That's my line. You could give, that's my line. You got to pick on, put on your big boy pants. That's what I'm trying to get those coaches to understand. It right. is not a picnic every Saturday. So those are, those are the games I'm looking forward to for sure. All right. We're going to wrap it up. I'm looking forward to Arizona state versus, uh, as you say, BYU. Um, I really like Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for Arizona state. I, I think that he's got something to prove. I mean, he could fling it. He could run. Uh, he's just a great weapon for the Sun Devils. And I think it'll be a great opportunity for him, especially with, you know, you don't have the big, big games like we had last week. Obviously, there's some important ones and, and Scott made a reference to them. But I would like to see Arizona State beat BYU. And uh, and I like, you know, focusing on some of these teams in games that maybe not not everybody else. Shout out to Rutgers that beat Syracuse. Uh, last week that uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some implications with uh, recruiting there. That's going to help them recruit that tri-state area. Hey, listen, you know, quick, uh, quick uh, rundown, CJ Vardell, 161 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, that dude was a man. He was a man against Ohio state. You know, they're not scrubs over there. They got NFL talent and he was, you know, he put, he, he put it on them. So, you know, shout out to him guys. Great week. Got to wrap it up. I'm off to soccer. We got we got soccer games. I got to put on my 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 parent hat and uh, and get to these games. But it's always great to nope, see you guys. Nope. No booing at your kids. Yeah. Uh, no booing. Uh, no booing. No booing. No booing. No booing. You no, suck. No, you don't know how to these people. Put her in. She needs to play. Put her at attack. What are you doing? She's oh, not a goalie. Boy. I got uh, warming up my throat there. 
Oh boy. Oh All boy. right. All right, kids. We'll do it again next Thank week. You. All right. All right. Have take a care. Great week. Bye.